Welcome back to another episode of the Leading Saints podcast. If you've enjoyed content on this podcast, it's important that I tell you about the Leading Saints newsletter that we send out every week. This newsletter keeps you up to date on all the current Leading Saints content releases, including podcasts, articles, online events, and even live events that might be happening in your own area. In this newsletter, we also recommend some past episodes and written articles that you don't want to miss. Each week, we include additional leadership perspectives and thoughts that you can only find in the weekly newsletter, so you definitely don't want to miss out. To subscribe to the weekly newsletter, simply text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash subscribe. Again, text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash subscribe so you don't miss any future Leading Saints content. Merry Christmas! It's the Leading Saints podcast. This is Kurt Frankham, your host, and uh, I'm sure many of you are listening to this well past the Christmas season, but again, I say Merry Christmas. Now, Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead, and we do that through various methods like this, the podcast. We have a website at leadingsaints.org. We have social media channels which I hope all of you should be following on Instagram. I'm on there daily sharing behind the scenes clips and thoughts and perspectives, raw and real. Uh, So go to Instagram, follow us there, Twitter, help me fight off the Twitter trolls and uh, Facebook. We constantly share content there and get discussions going. So we are a well-rounded content machine here trying to get leadership information out to the masses of Latter-day Saints striving to be better prepared to lead. Glad you're here. This one's great. And I actually just got done recording this interview, and it's December 2nd, 2020. Okay, so this is hot off the presses, going right into the podcast feed for this Saturday, which is December 5th. We're releasing this, and uh, you're going to want to listen to this a few times and digest. Maybe instead of doubling the time on your podcast uh, player, maybe go to halftime and, uh, you know, 0.5 time and, and just listen and digest what's uh, what's discussed. Because I have Dan Duckworth on the podcast with us, and he has been a favorite of some of his past episodes. I encourage you to listen to those after you listen to this. Dan Duckworth is a member of our board of directors. His vision, his leadership, his perspective, his transformational leadership tactics have are really having a transformational effect on, on leading saints as an organization, as a mission. He, he is done remarkable things. So uh, you're going to love this. We talk about the the concept of, of Zoom church, of Zoom Sunday school, of disconnected wards and relief societies. What do we do about this? I mean, we've been in this pandemic for long enough. Am I right? And so we're being, it's feeling empty now. And, and I don't mean to generalize everybody's experience. I know many of you are having a phenomenal experience at home with family study and, and everything. But I think there's a higher vision that we could reach for. And Dan goes through this and, and talks about his own personal experience of, of going from a mediocre Zoom Sunday school class to one that's been purely transformational for him and for those involved. So here's my interview with Dan Duckworth. All right, another episode of the Leading Saints podcast, and I'm excited to welcome back Dan Duckworth. How are you, Dan? I am doing great. Thanks, Kurt. Nice. Well, we, <laughs> the listening audience will not know of the uh, resistance of technicalities we've had. We are uh, on. Being connected here. But we're connected. And so hopefully uh, this is making it to their ears at some point in the near future. But, you know, Dan, I think is becoming, you're sort of a, 
you're becoming a, a regular on the sitcom of leading saints. You know that, you know, you're just, you keep popping up here on the podcast and we're glad to have you back. Hey, so you're saying I'm here for the comic relief. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> Okay, that's probably not a, an effective analogy, but uh, you know what I mean. And and really, you're like the character that really deserves a spinoff show. So, you know, if, if yeah, you're ready to start that uh, Dan I, Duckworth weekly segment, let me it, know. It's like having the Kramer show, right? After Seinfeld. <laughs> well, I'm that guy. <laughs> All right, right, let's do it. <laughs> nice. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with Dan, you should, we'll, and we'll link to these episodes, but definitely go back and listen to some of the past episodes that we've done with Dan and he uh, sits on our board of directors. And, uh, you know, I, I definitely want to emphasize that Dan isn't just somebody who shows support by coming on the podcast every once in a while, which he does. And he does fantastically, but we've had long meetings talking about strategy, talking about the future of leading saints. And, uh, it's been awesome. So Dan is really in the thick of it with me trying to help this mission succeed and, and move forward. So thanks, Dan. Well, you know, I'm a huge supporter. I think that the mission of lifting the local leaders of the church, right? So we're a church that's led by revelation. We're led by priesthood keys. And yet we are people who are extremely burdened in today's modern society, right? We're not just tending yeah. the farm and then going to our church meetings. It's like, we've got 5,000 things going on. And so how do we liberate the church culture at that local level where we can live the gospel of Jesus Christ in our leadership activities, where we can empower people, fill them with love, energy, creativity, innovation, passion, like all those things that should typify. Like Kurt, this is my motivation. So when I think about the church of Jesus Christ, right? There's a thousand religions out there. There's probably 10,000 religions out there. When I think about the church of Jesus Christ, I think this ought to be the happiest, most energized, most effective, most amazing, most brilliant, experience and organization on the planet. And the truth is, on the whole, it is, right? It absolutely is. Right. And we look at that prophetic level, right? But then so many people are having a different experience on the local level. And so that's where my motivation to help you to, to further the mission that you're doing and the other you know, board members who are great individuals to have on there, great minds, great passion. My motivation is, how do we help the church at the local level become that amazing, idyllic, Zion-like experience that we've all experienced from time to time, but we all want it. We crave it in our local church experiences. So you are doing a great work. Keep going. Right on. Well, right along with you there, Dan. So that's, I love that perspective and I couldn't have said it better myself. And with that, you know, recognizing the burden, the tasks that face local leaders, and then in a pandemic where everything's sort of turned upside down, and then it's like, and don't worry, we got Zoom. So, you know, just keep doing what you're doing, but just do it through Zoom. And and it's really, you know, I just did this, sent out a survey in the newsletter that we send out every week. And in that survey, we just sort of took a pulse of where people are at with, you know, in the, this pandemic, because I think early last year, it sort of felt like, well, maybe, you know, yeah, we'll shut down for a few weeks. Maybe we can bounce back. But now it's like, man, this has been going on. And, and I'm not, getting much traction with how I'm leading my ward or quorum or, or youth or whatever it is. And in that survey, that was obvious. People coming back saying, I'm struggling with connection. How do I connect my people? Or or just the, the fear of apathy. Like, what if people get too used to staying at home? Like, what do we do, right? And so, you know, just in our conversations, I think uh, we can really dive into some of these topics and relate them to some of the things you're doing in your own uh, leadership business. And uh and it'd be great. So where should we start, Dan? Where do you want to jump in? Well, I'll just start right where you just were with feeling this, uh, you know, this struggle with being on Zoom and how can I effectively do my work? So so right now I'm a, I'm a youth Sunday school teacher. I have the juniors and seniors in our ward here. And this is my dream calling. 
Okay. I can't tell you for how many years I've said, please just call me to be the youth Sunday school teacher of the older teenagers. Like that's my dream yeah. calling. So I, I get that calling at about the same time, or maybe this policy had been in place for a while and I just wasn't in a position to know it, but where they're saying Sunday school teachers have to have two in a room. Okay. Which mm -hmm. means there's no longer one Sunday school teacher with the class. There's two of us trading off as a rule. Okay. I know sometimes that's been what we do, but I've had a lot of Sunday school experiences where it's just one teacher. Right. And so instantly I was like, oh man, I love my co-partner. He's actually been released now, but I love him. He's a great teacher. I love listening to him, but it's harder to create a sense of community when you don't have the class full time. Right. And then mm -hmm. the next thing that happens is we go to two hour church. So now Sunday school is only every other week. So now I'm meeting mm -hmm. with my kids or I'm in the position of the teacher once a month, right? For less than an hour, once a month. And I'm going, wow, like I've dreamed about this calling. And now I get them for an hour once a month. Like, how do I create an amazing transformational experience for these kids with only an hour a month? Okay. So that's weighing on my mind. Then COVID hits, church gets canceled. I don't do anything for my calling, you know, for the most part for like six months or whatever. And I'm just kind of waiting, waiting, waiting. And then all of a sudden we're doing it by Zoom. Okay. Now I kind of have a, a little bit of an unfair advantage because I, well, it's a lot of an unfair advantage. Like teaching is what I do, right. For my career. Right. Like I yeah. sit people down and I teach. So that's my starting point. Right. So I get on Zoom and I'm like, oh yeah, no big deal. Like I, I can do this. No problem. And so there's a few little things that I'm doing that, that make the class interesting and it's, it's a fine class, but it's not transformational. And what mm -hmm. I know deep down inside is I'm actually just waiting this out, okay? I haven't said that out loud to myself, but looking back now, I know that I was just waiting it out because, hey, we're gonna start having Sunday school class before you know it, okay? Now, in the middle of all this is my journey with work, okay? And I'm gonna tell you a little bit about that story, but I'm gonna get straight to the end, okay? So that the audience knows why we're talking about this here with yeah. them and with you. Perfect. I create an online, for the first time ever in my experience, I create an online transformational learning community. In less than four weeks, I guide 100% of the people to have a transformational experience. And it blows my mind, like out of the water. Like I started this because it was a hypothesis, but it's one of those hypotheses that you don't really believe are gonna work. And so when it works, you're just like, oh my goodness, this worked. Like, because that worked, all kinds of possibilities are now open. And I realized I didn't actually believe it was going to work. Yeah. And you don't have to wait it out anymore, right? Because this, this is an effective method. Exactly. So <clears throat> I now know for my work, and I'll take it down that story in a minute. For my work, I'm going down this route of online, authentic communities. And I just had this mind-blowing, earth-shattering experience from, from my perspective and from my world. Other people might be like, oh, big deal. But for me, this is crazy big. And I'm sitting in my office right there and I'm trying to make sense of what just happened, right? I'm trying to process and I'm starting to tease out like, well, what are some of the principles and, and why did this work so well? And it comes back, it always comes back to the same key belief. And the key belief is, I believe this community can be awesome, right? I believe this group of strangers who don't know each other who are all having their own intense life experiences and who are only giving me a fraction of their time, I believe this can be awesome. And so I went to work and learned how to make it awesome. And I had this mm -hmm. crazy moment where I was sitting there reflecting and I was actually in the middle of scripture study. So this is probably why my mind went to Sunday school, but I had this crazy moment, call it the spirit, I don't know, where all of a sudden I realized 
I wasn't believing that about my Sunday school class on Zoom. I believed that about my Sunday school class in person, but I wasn't believing, I didn't believe that it could be awesome, that it could be transformational, right? And so all of a sudden I was like, I need to change the way I'm doing my Sunday school class on Zoom. And the truth is because of some scheduling things, and again, it's only every other week and all that stuff, and we've had a fifth Sunday, I've only had one chance to experiment since then with the Sunday school class, but I've had another chance to experiment with teaching elders quorum. And so I'm going to come, I'll come back to some of those things that I did. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. But it sounds like it starts with that belief, right? And and I feel like, like early on, like I said, when this seemed, okay, maybe this is a temporary thing. Let's just, you know steady the boat and get through this as best we can. And then, then we'll come back. We'll get back to the business of transformation. But right now, you know, let's just make sure, you know, we're looking out for the widow and, and people got with the, the, what they need. And, and sure, there may be a time for that. But then as it keeps going, you have to really intentionally get back to the state of mind or saying like, you know what, I am not going to settle for, for, for mediocrity in my in, in the in the organization that I'm leading, this is going to be a transformational experience, and I'm dedicated, and I'm, I want others around me to be dedicated to figure out how to do that. Right? You have to really start with that belief. Yeah, you have to. It, it that is not an easy thing to do, right? It's not an easy right. thing to just switch your mindset to say like, oh, there's a measure of humility and like wallowing in self awareness of like, oh, now that I realize I want excellence. That means I have been settling for mediocrity for the last little while. And that's a really hard pill to swallow. And when I work with leaders in our leadership training classes and now this new online masterclass that we're starting, like that's such a key tipping point is that ability to, to switch from like, I'm justifying my current state to, oh, you know what? I'm broken, but I have so much potential, right? And so that's what I call the broken but brimming uh, principle. I'm broken, but I'm brimming with potential. And I reached that mm. point where I was able to say like, whoa, I'm broken. The way I'm dealing with Zoom and my Sunday school class, it's broken. And it's getting me a mediocre average result. It's getting me what you would expect, right? In the church. And what I don't want is what you would expect. What I want is the unexpected, the above average, the knock your socks off, blow your brains out kind of results. That's what I want. That's what I always want when I'm mm-hmm. cognizant of it, right? Most of the time, my behavior is normal and it's recreating a normal situation. And so I have to refocus myself on what is it that I really want? So for me, and I'll tell you a little bit about my journey, like I know that for an individual to have a transformational experience, it takes a village. Like I know that a hundred percent, like that is one of the secrets. That is one of the keys. If you don't have the village, the chances of you, well, at least intentionally having a, a transformational experience are next to nothing right? You might have a crisis that throws you into the fire that, that you end up transforming on your own, but never on, never do you just initiate that self-initiate that journey, which is what we're trying to do in the church. We're trying to get a bunch of people who aren't in crisis to still want to grow, to still want to transform. Cause you're not just, you know, there's a, a billion different ways an individual can transform personally, you know, but you're talking about like cultural transformation, uh, for an organization or for a village, right? Well, no, I'm talking, I'm talking actually about personal transformation, right? So if okay. I'm, if I'm a leader or a Sunday school student or whatever, and I need something in my life to change, right? it's not just like changing a habit or changing a worthiness thing or something. It's like, I need character change. I need to change the way I see and relate to the world. That means you have to go into the fire. Okay. So I want you to imagine we're on audio here, so we can't do this, but on one side of this whiteboard is you, current you, 
right? And current you is pretty good, right? You've been pretty successful and things are going pretty good and you like your life and you like your family and you like your job and, and things are okay. Or maybe current you is pretty bad and you're like, this is terrible. I got to get out of this situation. I don't like any of this. Then on the other side of the whiteboard is new you. And new you is holding a trophy because new you is amazing and awesome. You've achieved all your goals. Like you've accomplished the change you want to lead people through, or the change you want to lead yourself through. You've got the trophy and you're brilliantly happy. Okay. What is keeping current you from becoming new you? Well, it's the fact that between current you and new you, between current situation and new situation is a fire, a raging, <laughs> burning furnace that stands between the two of you. And that's called the refiner's fire. And nobody ever walked into the refiner's fire unless it was safe enough to do so, okay? They might have been thrown into the refiner's fire. I've been thrown into that fire many times. And then you're at the mercy of the situation and do, are you equipped to deal with the crisis that you're in, okay? And sometimes you come away from that better off and you've achieved and you've grown and it's a great experience. A lot of times you come out of the crisis and you're worse off, okay? Even if you mm -hmm. survived it, you bear scars, you have the collateral damage. And so what we're really trying to do with my students in a leadership setting and with your students in a church setting is you're trying to get them to want to walk into the fire without a crisis. Yeah. So let me interject here that I think what a lot of individuals or leaders are seeing is that a lot in the word are saying, you know what? Uh, I think I found the new me through home church. This is great. Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, we're, we're having great discussions in our home and I sort of like the, you know, the more casual you know, beat to the the day, uh, you know, I'm not r rushing off to this or that meeting. And, and so don't worry, Bishop, like, uh, we're good. We got the new, the new us has, has arrived where th the leaders are standing back saying, well, no, 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 like, we need some engagement in the ward here. Like, what about ministering? What about this or that? Right? There's always like something else maybe they're missing. So help, help us understand this from the point of view of what maybe a leader of an organization might be seeing. Well, you know, it's, it's all situational. So, when I hear that, Kurt, my first thought is, who needs who, right? Yeah. Do the people right. need the leaders or do the leaders need the people? And, mm -hmm. and we as leaders, we have to really check ourselves. Why do we need engagement? Why do we need to see people on Sunday school class, right? Is it really for them? Or is there something deep down inside us that we don't feel complete, we don't feel whole, we don't feel successful unless the people are doing something that makes us, that gives us a reason to mm. be a leader? right? And if the people are thriving at home, if the people really don't need much support, then why are we upset? That's the goal. Isn't right. the goal to get to a people <laughs> who are living the gospel at home? And at home also means ministering to the people around them, right? Mm -hmm. That is the goal. Unless the goal really is our own ego and our own need to look and feel like we're doing a good job. So yeah. that comes down to one of the key principles that I learned. Okay. Through this community. So let me, let me go back. Yeah. Let me tell you, the, getting, let me I'm tell you the story. Too far ahead. Yeah. Jump no, into your okay. story. I just, I got something to say, but it won't <laughs> make sense until I tell the story. Okay. So take the listeners back to two years ago when we moved to Utah. So I had just come off this experience where for the last five years, me and my partner, we co-hosted, co-designed, co-implemented high potential leadership development programs for a fortune 500 company. And we had pretty much carte blanche over this. And so we experimented like crazy and we created this amazing, you know, transformational learning journey for these people. And as part of that journey, I knew a hundred percent, not from the start, but I learned through this experience that community was key to these individuals being able to go into the fire. I call it creating the crucible, 
right? The crucible, people hear that word and they get scared of it, but the crucible is what lets you go into the fire and stay protected, right? And what I noticed is when people had the crucible, when they built that psychological and environmental safety around themselves, they jumped into the fire. Like that was the big, one of the big ahas of what we learned is that when you get the right elements in place for people, they jump. They don't resist. They don't get dragged into. They don't get pushed into. They leap into the fire. They're so excited to get through the fire because they want so badly what's on the other side. And it's not so much a matter of like motivating people and coaxing them like, you need to get to the other side. Like, look how beautiful it is over there, right? No, they want it already, right? Now, maybe it's helping yeah. clarify a little bit, but give them the tools, give them the safety and the, the community was key to that to go into the fire. So anyway, we moved to Utah and I decide which is a story in of itself, I decide I want to take this to the masses. I'm tired of working with corporate on this. I'm tired of being restricted. I was family and friends here that needed this kind of stuff. And I was like, our current model, they'll never get this. We've learned some beautiful, amazing things. And I want to take this to the masses. Okay. So that starts a two-year journey, which has been incredibly intense. It's been its own crucible, its own refiner's fire for me. Um, but as I'm getting into this, the one key belief that I have that is absolutely wrong, it's absolutely wrong, but at the time I believed it so strongly, was that you can't develop authentic community through digital. Hmm. In fact, I created a slide called the nine myths of leadership development. And number one was digital is the future of leadership development. That was Ooh. the number one myth that I was like, everybody out here who thinks that it's all about digital and online, they're wrong. Because what we just did was so amazing, but it required people to be in person, to be able to see each other, feel each other, experience each other, right? And then that is the ideal state, right? I mean, it- I don't know anymore. I don't even know if that's okay. ideal. all right. Right? Like, it's certainly uh -huh. a way. It's certainly a way. It's the only way that I knew, okay? Okay. So my mission is to take this to the masses, but I don't believe in technology as the answer until I start a blog- and that's not the answer for me. Like it's not creating authentic community on scale. It's not going to work. I host a live event and that was so exhausting. You know, I'm usually show up and teaching this time. I'm like, I'm scheduling a facility and I'm doing all the marketing and I'm taking the money and all this stuff. I was like, wow, like that is not how I'm going to create this community. And then out of a state of exhaustion, I sign up for a workshop. And if anybody knows who the marketing leadership guru, Seth Godin is, I sign up yeah. for an online workshop and it's about how to tell better stories. So I'm just, I use storytelling as a feature of our leadership process. I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to take this. And I know that they're probably not going to teach me a lot, but like, I just need to veg out for a month. And so this will give me an excuse like, oh, I'm taking this class right now. Right. So I get into this class and it's all about, you know, how do you tell a story? How, what's the backstory? What's the climax? You know, things like that. But something happens to me. This is key. Something happens to me while I start to care about strangers. Okay? And there's this one lady in particular who's telling her story because the great thing about this is they said, well, just choose a story from your life to practice becoming a better storyteller. Don't create up a fictional story. So she starts telling the story about how she has a dysfunctional relationship with her stepdaughter. And I start to get invested in her story and I start to care about the outcome. Now, that was a turning point. All of a sudden I said, oh my goodness, this is authentic community. And it's happening to me with a few strangers that I've never met before and who I will never see again. And so it flipped my belief, okay? And this is all online, it was all digitally it was all digital. happening. It yeah. was all digital, it was all through text. There was no videos, no audio, no nothing. I'm just reading, right? Now we use the power of story 
in our workshops. Like that's a signature feature. So I'm not surprised by this, but what I'm surprised is that I'm experiencing it now. I'm saying, okay, so Seth Godin and actually the person who's hosting the workshop, her name is Bernadette. Like they don't really even know what they're doing in terms of like the authentic, like they do, but they don't, right? Because their space is really marketing and storytelling and stuff. But I'm like, wow, if I could take this and combine it with what we learned, what is possible? Okay. Now, if you know anything about the hero's journey, this is the point where I refuse the call. It's too, it's like, yes, that's it. But then like, I'm like, no, I need to go write an ebook because it's all about content. So I start writing this ebook. It takes me five months. And at the end, I'm completely depressed, completely depressed. So now I've tried a blog. I've tried live events. I've tried writing an ebook. I've actually even experimented with podcasting. And I just know deep down inside that none of these things are going to get me what I want because they're all a one to many, uh, flow of communication and I need people to be connecting with each other. So I'm like, okay, now it's finally time. I've got to do this. So, and, and for me, the the moment was sitting in my backyard, telling my neighbor about this journey. And he looks at me, he goes, why don't you just do it? I said, what do you mean? You know, I'm trying to write this book, blah, blah. He goes, no, just do it. Just like host the workshop, just host the community, like just do it. And I said, well, I just don't have a big enough audience. Like, I don't think people, he says, just do it. If five people show up, just do it. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do this. So now I launch this workshop and I call it the positive deviance workshop and ended up changing it. It's called the unstory workshop. So I host this unstory workshop and I publish it out there to my list, which is like tiny, like I have zero, I have like 300 people who are willing to, to sign up on my list. Right. So I'm like, well, if I can get 50 of those people, this would be cool. I got two, <laughs> I got two people to sign up. Okay. Yeah. And so I'm completely depressed, Kurt. Like I I'm, I'm in this has been two years in the making. I finally launch and I got two. So all my years, two years of work gets me two people. And I said to my wife, I'm done. I'm canceling it. I'm going to go be a truck driver. I'm going to go do something different. Like I'm out of this. And this is the moment where she basically takes me by, you know, the lapels and she says, <laughs> you will not cancel this. Like you will hold this workshop and you will blow the minds out of those two people. You'll give them everything you've got. Like you are going to do this. And so I'm like, okay. I'm going to do this, but I'm going to have to change it to be something that will be useful for me. It needs to be about community, right? Well, eight people end up signing up by the end of it. So now I've got eight people and I'm into this workshop. And for me, Kurt, like I'm not used to being on TV. And so I'm doing like these videos of myself and I'm worried about like, is my collar straight? Like do I have my hair cut? Oh, like, I know the feeling. I know the Got to get the lighting right in the room. And like, I'm, I'm redoing these things over and over again. And that same sense of despondency with doing the blog, with doing the ebook, with doing the live event, with doing the podcast, like that same despondency is coming over me because I'm so focused on getting the content and the show right. Okay. So we're two weeks into a six week thing and I'm barely even putting anything out. Like these people have paid hundreds of dollars. I'm barely even giving them anything. Like the noise is starting to say like, Hey, what's next? Like we're kind of confused. Is there actually a workshop because I'm paralyzed. So then one woman in the workshop who had actually been part of our year long transformational journey that I told you about that we created for the fortune 500 company, she had signed up for this and she reached out and said, Hey, this isn't working for me. And so I said, Hey, let's have a call. Like she was the, she was probably the least engaged person out of the eight. I said, Hey, let's have a call. What she didn't know is that I was despondent. She was despondent and I was despondent. And so we get on this call and I say, okay, Julie, what's, what's going on? Like, tell me why it's not working. And she said, in a nutshell, she said, you're not giving me what I need. You're giving me content 
And actually I was like, Oh, I don't feel like I'm giving any content because I'm not putting anything out. But she said, you're giving me content. What I came for was the conversation. The magic that you guys created for us in that year long program wasn't your content. The magic was the community and the conversations that we had. That's what changed my life. I need my life to be changed again. I need you to create the conversation. And I walked away from that phone call and it rested on me for three or four days. And I realized I need to get over myself. This isn't about me. This isn't about what I have to say. This isn't about my content. It isn't about how good my video quality is and whether I should use a green screen or whether I should whatever. This is about me creating a conversation. And anything I have to say should only be oriented towards the group having the conversation, the real conversation. And when I finally let that sink in, it was probably actually just two days after that call. All of a sudden, I grabbed my iPhone, have a little lapel mic. I walked straight outside and I recorded myself making a 10-minute content video. And I said, no matter what, I am going to upload this. I'm not going to edit it. I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to record this and I'm going to upload it. I look back on that video, Kurt. I wish we could show your people some pictures. I was, I look like a wreck. Like my hair is flying <laughs> in the wind. I wasn't shaved. My glasses had smudges all over them. I was wearing a t-shirt. I was standing outside on the trail. There's like runners running past me. Like it was a terrible video production. Is it still up on like LinkedIn or something? <laughs> no, no. It's okay. just in the, in the workshop platform. Oh, I gotcha. But the conversation started because I was real. And the conversation started. So in this workshop, what we do is we have content drops towards the beginning of the week. And then we have a conversation live on, on Thursday. Okay. And so all of a sudden the conversation is changing. And in the third week on our third call, first two calls were abysmal on the third call. I noticed something. The people were starting to care about each other. And I was like, wow. I think this might work. I think somebody might have a transformational experience. The next day, somebody gets on the platform and they tell the story and the title of the story that they write in is, I quit my job. And I wow. see the title in my notification. I go, oh my goodness. Whoa, 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 whoa. That, yeah. you know, I, you know, I'm all for quitting your job if it's the right thing to do, but like, I hope this is the right thing. Now he didn't actually quit his job. But something shifted in him so fundamentally in how he viewed himself at work that he sat down with the CEO and he said, I can't do this anymore. I need to be a different person. And here's what I want. And that was like a mind blowing experience for him. Right. And he got on, he said, I quit my job. Like I have a new job and the CEO and I are going to partner. We're going to go in on this like new company we're going to build together. Like, and none of this would have happened if it wouldn't have been for this workshop, but really if it wouldn't have been for the conversation and for the community, right? Well, within the next two weeks, out of the eight, only six truly engaged. Of those six, 100% of them had that transformational experience. So my hypothesis going into this, which I didn't believe, was that I could create a transformational community in within four weeks, and that people could have a transformational moment in their life, in their leadership journey within four weeks, right? Remember, yeah. I had a year with the people in person. But I was saying, here's my hypothesis. I can do it in four weeks. And I didn't really believe it. And then I walked out of that experience and I said, oh my goodness, 100% of the people who engaged 
two, the two never really showed up. Even Julie, even Julie, who was my mentor, she never, she never participated at all. Right. But of the people who participated, a hundred percent of them had this experience. And that's why I was sitting in my chair in my office as I was in my scripture study saying, this is big. This happened on zoom. And then all of a sudden, I think it was the spirit said to me, yeah, what about your Sunday school class? You need to change the way you relate to your Sunday school class. So that's my big, long story that will yeah. now set up a bunch of principles that we can talk about. Right. Yeah. And I think every leader listening to that is saying like, you know, whether they're in a bishopric or or a Sunday school youth teacher, they're saying, Dan, okay, yes, that is exactly what I want to do. But you're Dan Duckworth and you're, you know, pretty articulate and you know how to do this, but, but you're also saying that you can lay out some principles that can help walk anybody through this, right? Yeah. So everybody needs, you do, of course, you need to take a step back. And I'm not, there's nothing amazing about me, but I've had <laughs> six or seven years of practice, right? And so what, what, what I'm here to say is if you go on the journey, if you go on the journey and you're willing to learn, you can create something amazing. Okay. Yeah. So here I am with my Sunday school class and I decide I'm going to start to do some experiments. Okay. And I just, I have, I have one week. And so it's Sunday morning and I put together a little video. Okay. This is just, again, me in whatever I'm wearing. I just go out on the, on the deck and I just, I'm going to record myself. And here's what I say. I have two messages for him. Say so message number one, we are going to create the world's most amazing Sunday school class. I want you to be here because you think about being here all week long. And I know that sounds really stupid because like most of you don't think twice about Sunday school until mom says, Hey, do you need the link for Sunday school class? And then you're like, oh, yeah, but we're going to make this so that you want to be here and so that you want to tell all of your friends that they need to be here. Like, that's what we're going to create together. So that's number one. Number two is here's one little piece of content that we're going to discuss and debate in our class today. Okay, so I'm trying to learn from my experience on the professional side, right? I give them a little nugget, a little principle, one principle and a story that goes with it. And I say, we're going to talk about this all week. And on Thursday, especially when we get together, this is what we're going to talk about. So I tell my Sunday school kids, this is all, this is it. Right. And then guess what happens? I'm not sure exactly. Cause I can't get a list, uh, the exact list of who's supposed to be in my class. It's really confusing to me, but we probably are supposed to have about 14 or 15 kids in our class. We've only been getting four to six kids hmm. that first week we get 11 kids who show up. So we double our attendance. The only thing that has changed is I'm engaging them. And I've created a, a group me group, right? And that actually took a lot of work to try to get as many of the kids on it as like I could. Like a text group, yeah, right? Yeah, text group. Yeah. So I sent mm -hmm. this video to that, that text group on group me. And so we double the attendance. And here's what's critical for me. There are kids coming who have never come to any of our Zoom classes. They haven't even showed up. They're on the call. And a few of the kids even that would come periodically who have never spoken are speaking out loud. Okay. Hmm. So I was, I sat back and I said, Oh my goodness, this is on me, right? For the last three months that we've been doing zoom Sunday school, this is on me because I was not creating, I wasn't investing in this class. And the second, I mean, this was easy for me to do. This was not a lot of extra work folks send out a little, you know, you don't have to do it that way, but that's just what I did. Send out a little video, set the expectations that we're going to be amazing and that we're going to discuss this one little principle. And then we get on and we discuss it. And I can come back to that in a minute too. 
So I'm experimenting with Sunday school. I'm experimenting with Ehlers Quorum, and there's a couple of key principles. So should we get into some of those, or what do you yeah, want to do? Yeah, no, Kurt? this is. I'm ready. I want to. I want you to unlock the. Well, the we're gonna here. let's <laughs> unlock them together because I actually didn't want to go yeah. too deep in this because I knew you and I were gonna have this discussion anyway. So we might as well record it, and other people could listen to it because I was yeah. gonna call you anyway and be like, "Hey, I need someone to talk to about this." <laughs> cool. Okay, here's principle number one that I think is is very hard to apply in the church. Super hard. That is just absolutely critical. It's let people self-select. Hmm. Okay. That flies in the face of most of what we do as church leaders. Let people, that was part of the magic of what we created in our workshop community is only the people who wanted to be there were there. Yeah. And, and so maybe give us the general as far the general explanation as far as what it is currently. And, and we're generalizing, of course, but you know, basically everybody's sort of at Sunday school or joining the Zoom meeting because they feel like oh, I think I'm supposed to be here, and you know, I, I want to show support to the the Sunday school teacher, or, or I know them. Or is that is that what you're talking about? Is yeah. when they're not self selected Well, let's if it's a youth Sunday school class, they might come because they really want to come. They really want to learn the gospel. They really crave this experience. Or they might come because they think they're supposed to come, right? And that's the way they've been trained up in their houses. Hey, you know, this is my duty. And hey, it's Sunday school class. And I, I don't really think that much about it, right? Yeah. Which I think is like, that's why my son probably goes. Right. Right. Or that's why in an elders quorum that's doing a Zoom meeting, that's why the elders quorum counselors are showing up. Because if I don't show up, like I'll probably get a phone call and, you know, I just, yeah. I guess I just better show up. <laughs> yeah. And then that's the third level is there's the coercion, right? So if it's a kid, yeah. it's like, oh, I'm here because either mom told me you have to do this, or she gave me a look that said, if you don't do this, I'm going to make you feel bad about it for the next, you know, 24 hours. Right. <laughs> and it's the same way with the adults, right? I, I'm here because ah, I just really don't want to have to look at my neighbor's the elder scorn president. I just don't want to have to look him in the eye. You know, I was here, but I, I just, I'll turn my camera off. So that at least, you know, check the box that I'm there, even though I'm really not there, right? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what it is today. So let them self-select though is critical because your job to create a transformational community, you have to let only the right people into the room, okay? Here's the deal. There's a book called The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker, yeah. okay? I read it because of your recommendation. It's I phenomenal. I swear by this book. Like it's, 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 a, awesome. it's an amazing book. Yeah. But she says in there, that it's your job to protect, she's talking about creating like party gatherings or even meetings, right? She says, your, your job is to yeah. protect your guests from Uncle Bob. And my apologies to anybody <laughs> out there who is named Uncle we'll Bob. Call, we'll call him Brother Bob. But, but Brother go, Bob, but that, we all know. there you go, Brother Bob. Is that's her, <laughs> she chose that name, I didn't choose that name. Um, but she says, there's somebody that shows up to the party and they're a party spoiler. One person changes the entire mood of the entire party right? She says, it's your job as the host to keep Bob away. And you think you're doing a disservice to Bob, you're being mean. She says, you're actually being kind to the people that you've hosted this gathering for. Okay. So our job as hosts of online meetings is to get the right people into the room. Now there's two ways to think about this. We're not going to, this is the church, right? It, it says very clearly, we didn't turn anybody away. We're not going to, Hey, you don't belong here, right? We're not going right, to turn right. you away. When I have a 13 year old sister who's like clearly watching our call from the side, right? I say out loud, hey, who's hiding behind your camera right there? Like, it's clear there's somebody else with you. And she goes, oh yeah, it's my sister. Like she couldn't get her meeting to work. So she's kind of just like hanging out with us. And I say, come on in, right? So we're very inclusive. I say, come on in, be part of the call. We want to see you on the camera. Like you're part of us now, right? You're one of us, yeah. even though you're 13, you're not 16. 
Okay. Yeah. So it's not about being exclusive, but it is about curating. And how you do that, Kurt, is you need to get the right people to show up in the right mindset. Okay. They need to be there because they want to be there. Now you won't always get that right. There's going to be that kid that shows up because mom twisted his arm. Right. But your goal is to get people to want to be there. Yeah. And that really begins with that invitation of curation, right? There where, you know, you gave that example of pointing out, Hey, it looks like someone else is there. I want you to know, I mean, you didn't say it in so many words, but I want you to know 13 year old sister, you're part of this group and we would love for you to participate. I think a lot of people want that invitation. And even those that are on the call, the mic is muted, their camera's muted, and they're just this white name on the screen. And you can say, Brother Jones, hey, I see your name. Are you there? Can you hear me? Like, I want you to know, I would love to hear from you today. Like, just that simple action of invitation is really where the curation begins. Yeah. And you're actually going to a principle that Priya Parker in her book talks about setting the expectations, the rules of the group, hmm, right? right? And Jason Hewlett was on your show. It aired last week. And he uh -huh. kind of got into this a little bit. And I would just make one maybe change to one of the suggestions he gave. You know, he talked about having the bishop or the stake president make some kind of announcement that we want you to turn your cameras on. Okay. Never, ever, ever, ever ask an authority figure to do something that you can do yourself because you're reinforcing a culture of helplessness and of artificial hierarchy. Okay. So what you just said, Kurt, is probably uh, what Jason would have meant if we were having a real conversation. So I don't mean to throw Jason right. out there. Right. But, right, right, but yeah. you just say it yourself. You're the teacher. You just say, Hey, one of the rules and expectations, you can even use that word if you want, is we turn our cameras on. Okay. So here's what I do, Kurt. I say, and Jason actually got to this a little bit last week. I say, I don't care what you're doing. I don't care if you're making lunch. I don't care if you're driving in the car. I don't care if you're in your pajamas, right? Just turn your camera on because we want to see you, right? We want to see you. And I let them know. We can't be ourselves if we don't know who's on the other side. Like we want to see like the 13 year old sister that's hiding out. We need to know that we yeah. need to know that mom's listening over your shoulder. Like we need to know that. Okay. Yeah. And, this, and this is, uh, so this where it's so crucial is that there may be individuals in that zoom meeting who think I don't want to turn on my camera. I'm not here to be seen. I don't care. Yeah. I am in my pajamas, but I don't want to be on the camera. And so in a sense, they may not show up the next week. I mean, you're taking that risk, right? But they are self-selecting themselves out of that group because you are inviting the rest of the group to have a more dynamic transformational experience. And so we fall into mediocrity when we don't set these rules and expectations and boundaries to say, if we're going to do this, here are the boundaries to succeed. And what you're saying or what you're not saying verbally is, and if you don't want to stay within these boundaries, this is probably not a good place for you. And that's okay. Yes. Right? And never to push them out, but there's right. a belief. So the belief is people want to be part of something awesome. Absolutely. And so Absolutely. if you create something awesome, they'll stay. Or if they leave, they'll hear about it and they'll come back. Okay. Right. Or you'll lose one and gain five. Potentially. Right. And yeah. so that's why your focus isn't on controlling people. It isn't on forcing them. Your focus is on creating something magnetic that will draw people in. And Priya Parker says, to create the room, you have to close the door, mm -hmm. right? So at some point we have to say, this is who we are. We're a group of people who show up with our cameras on. It doesn't matter what you're doing. So the first day I did this, like literally one of the kids turns his camera on. It was so distracting. He's in the middle of making lunch, like making tacos or something for family <laughs> dinner, right? And like, he's moving the camera around and he's clearly like whipping the bowl and he, you know, he's pouring cheese and he's doing all these things, right? But it was awesome. And now that kid shows up every week with his camera on, right? 
Now I can yeah. already hear there's a huge backlash on your show right now. I can already hear it because I heard it from my <laughs> own father who I love to death. Right. I told him this, you know, I tell him to come even if they're in their pajamas and he was like, Whoa, like, I don't know. I, I don't think we want kids showing up to Sunday school class in their pajamas. Like, isn't there, isn't there a benefit to having kids dressed up wearing their church clothes, taking this serious? And my answer to that is absolutely, but not at the cost of a kid not showing up. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's my personal belief. Doesn't make it right. But that's my personal belief is I would rather have kids on there who are wearing their casual clothes. I'd rather have 11 of those kids than have two kids who are dressed up. Okay. Now I took a screenshot now, I won't share that because they didn't, I didn't get their permission, but just for my own learning, right. I took a screenshot of those 11 kids. 10 of them were wearing casual clothes. One of them was wearing unbuttoned white shirt with no tie, but just like kind of hanging out after church in his white shirt. Okay? Uh -huh. To me, I celebrated because I had 11 kids. Some point, I might turn my attention towards, you know, now that I got these kids hooked, what would it mean if one of our new rules was show up wearing something, you know, that makes you feel you know, you know, involved or engaged in the gospel or something. Right. So that's another stage for me, but for right now, it's like, just show up as you are. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Okay. So the next thing to think about Kurt is because we've covered curate, right? Like inviting right. people to self-select right? so the, the right people the with the mm -hmm. right mindset. Right. And by the way, how I did that was the video, right? When right. I sent the video, I said, we're going to be awesome. And here's what we're going to talk about. Now, the next thing is you got to connect the community, you got to connect the people. And so in our workshop community, right, we start out, the very first thing they do is they tell a story about a moment that matters in their life. And the people immediately, like on our first call, I said it was not that great, but it was, the first call was pretty great. The second call was terrible. On our, and this is your, your leadership our transformation leadership workshop, class, right? Yep. Uh -huh. Masterclass, whatever you want to call it. They said, I can't believe how connected I feel to these people right now. I've never met them before, but I read their story. I feel so connected to them. And one guy actually said, this was at the very end, I was doing an exit interview to learn from him. He said, you know, that very first call, I was shocked that you didn't have us go around the room and do introductions, you know, name, company, position, you know, private life. It's like, I was shocked. Like we didn't even know each other's names at that point, but the conversation was so real because we'd read each other's stories. And I actually was looking at Zoom going, I know, I know her, I know him. Oh, that's Greg. Oh, that's Meredith. Because they knew so much. Because we, look, the goal was to connect them to each other. Now, you might be able to do that with your adults. I don't know. With my Sunday school kids, they're not going to write a story. They're not going to, like, this is not going to happen, right? So the question becomes, what am I doing during the class or even between on the chat group? What am I doing to connect them to each other? Okay. That is so much more important than getting into your lesson. Right. And by We're the way, connecting them to the lesson, right? Exactly. Like, I think that's our default position is we say, okay, I got this principle. We're in this chapter. How, how can we connect people to this message? Which is, sounds like a good idea, but paramount is connecting them to each other. And how you do that is you get them to, you get one person to share her story, right? What, what was, she said something about like, oh, I'm really stressed out about college applications this week. Oh, pause, time out. Doesn't matter what else is going on. What else I had planned. This is a chance for someone to share authentic story. Hey, you mentioned that. Like, I totally remember back when I was 17 and a senior in high school and going through that. Like, that must be intense. Can you tell us the story of what you're going through this week? And then all of a sudden, everybody on the class perks up. Why? 
because her story is their story. Yes, they're probably going through college applications too, but mostly they're just human beings. And she's like, as she starts to tell her story, she says, I'd like to tell you a story about what it means to be a human being in the year 2020. And she starts <laughs> to tell her story and they go, oh my goodness, I'm a human being in the year 2020, just like you. <laughs> and it totally so draws true. them in. That's what happens. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. It's in our nature. It's in our biology for some reason. It just, we're, if we're magnets to that. Yeah. And so when I get on that Zoom class, Kurt, like my whole goal is, can I get one person to tell an authentic story? Right. And it helps if it's in the context of what we're trying to learn about. Like you just don't want like randomness. Right. But if randomness is what's on their mind, they don't care what you have the teacher say anyway. Right. Yeah. So what right. is your goal? Is your goal to teach a lesson or is your goal to build a transformational experience? where people can then go experiment with the gospel of Jesus Christ in real time, in real life. Yeah. Yeah. Let me create some contrast here as far as what, you know, because everybody in theory, intellectually, they they understand, yes, I want more personal experiences shared during class. And Dan, I've done that. I stand in front of my class. I say, does anybody have a story about faith that they'd like to share? Right. And then crickets. And it's all in like you listening as an instructor or, or even as, as somebody in the class, you could raise your hand and say, wait, John over there said something, John, would you be open to sharing? Like what, tell me more about that. And it's all in the nuances of somebody saying, well, I remember when I went through my divorce, yada, yada, yada. and then pausing and saying, now you have the risk of, of inviting them to share when maybe they're not comfortable sharing. But if that community is established, that higher level of vision is established, it's that it minimizes the risk of people not feeling open to be vulnerable. And so just saying like sister Smith, you mentioned this happened when you went through your divorce. Would you be open? I mean, if, if you're not, that's fine. But would you be open to sharing more about that story? Like, what'd you learn? I, I just feel like there's more there, right? And then the stories begin to to flood in. Yeah. And the other key thing you can do, Kurt, is you can, because you said you have to set that tone. There has to be that feeling of community there, mm -hmm. right? How you can establish that is you start with authenticity, right? Buzzword yep. of the century. Right. Authenticity. <laughs> I got an email actually for somebody who said I, I use that word too much, but it's a badge of honor. So, <laughs> well, we could, most people who use that word in leadership literature have no idea what they're talking about. So it's, it's the real meaning of authenticity, which is the search for the truth, mm -hmm. right? I put my truth in and I want your truth as well. My truth isn't better than your truth. It's a slice of the pie. So for me, authenticity has always been, or hasn't always been, but I came to see it as a search for the truth, right? And I have a slice of it. Kurt has a slice of it. Whoever else is in this room or in this situation has a slice of it. Okay. So what I do is I put my slice of it in. Okay. So for example, I'm going to be authentic right here with your listeners. Okay. Because I can't tell the story without being authentic because it's a story about being authentic. <laughs> What's real for me this year? I've lost $11,000 this year. Hmm. Net, right? We are scraping by draining our retirement savings because I believe in this entrepreneurial venture that I launched two years ago right? And so when I come to that class, if that's what's weighing on my mind and I don't share that, I'm a hypocrite, or at least I am plastic, okay? And one thing kids sense really quickly, and I'm sure adults sense it too, is they sense plastic. And if I'm plastic, man, what does that mean that they need to be? They need to be plastic, plastic. too. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So when yep. I show up and I say, you guys, this has been a rough week to a, you know, in a rough year, and I'm in the middle of this workshop. I only had two people show up and I've only made $11,000. And if this doesn't work, I'm going to have to go be a truck driver. Like that's where I'm at. I'm not here to like rant or complain. 
Like that's where I'm at. And I'm not just getting on. Here's the thing. I don't just get on and say like, oh, here, let me tell you about all my troubles. We're mm -hmm. talking about the principle. And as I'm listening to the kids talk about the principle, I'm learning from them. And the Holy Spirit is saying like, this is how you need to make sense of your life, right? If you're talking about Ether or Brother of Jared and faith, this is how this applies to you right now. If you don't share that full authentic story right then, you're plastic, okay? So that's where I jump in and it's not about me, but I'm gonna give them just a little bit about me. I'm gonna say, wow, you know, as I sit here and I listen to Lucy talk about this principle, I cannot help but think about what's going on in my real world. And this is making me think differently about what it means to have faith. And maybe I actually am holding back because of all these baggage, this baggage that I'm carrying and I need to go. And you know what that does? A bunch of people in that room go, oh my gosh, he just told us how much money he makes. He just broke the rules. Like adults, <laughs> adults are not supposed to talk about how much money they make, especially if they don't make any money, right? And so I broke the rule. And what that says is you can break the rule too. Because as high school kids and as neighbors in a ward or whatever, right, there are certain things you're not supposed to say. There's certain truths about yourself and your life you're not supposed to reveal. And they all know them. Like they could probably write a book about the things you're not supposed to talk about. But guess what? I need them to talk about those things for their own sake. If they don't talk about those things in this context, there is no transformational journey for them. Mm -hmm. So you create that environment by you stepping in. It's not like, hey, let me launch into class today by telling you my authentic story. Okay, point two. Now you tell your authentic story. No, it's as <laughs> yeah. the Spirit's instructing you, you be authentic, okay? And then you invite them. You always invite them. Does anybody else have a story, right? Yeah, love it, love it. Anything else as far as uh, creating connection? Uh, yeah, obviously, it's connection through vulnerability and story. Right, right, and it can happen online, right? So no, I think that's good. Because the third one is going to be probably the hardest to swallow. Like the other two are going to be hard <laughs> to know, do. This. this is going to be hard to swallow. And the third one is you have to create arguments. Let's just say it what? really clear. What? Okay. You have to in argue. In Sunday school, Dan? Yes. <laughs> now, I had an English teacher that taught me that an argument doesn't mean negativity, doesn't mean conflict. It means making a falsifiable claim. Or it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean contention. It doesn't mean right? contention. Right. It means making a claim that could be proven wrong, okay? So when I put out my content video, I made a claim. I said, here's a scripture. We're gonna focus in on this. There's way too much content, even in our abbreviated come follow me section and chapters, there's way too much content. So I'm gonna focus you guys in on one little principle, okay? This is what we're gonna talk about. And I'll probably tell a story to kind of illustrate an argument to say, this is the way I think about this principle. And I think this is what this means for how we should live the gospel of Jesus Christ in our life. Now that's falsifiable because somebody else could get on there and say, I think you're thinking about this wrong. I think there's another way. And my experience proves you wrong. Okay. So as a teacher, right? So when I'm in my professional life, people are paying me hundreds or thousands of dollars to be an expert. And I have to work really hard to not be an expert, not because I'm a genius but because the pressure and the expectation is there for me to show up as the expert with all the answers, okay? Instead, what I need to do is I need to create an argument and then I need to let go of the need to be right and I need to let people grapple with that argument, okay? So in other words, what I'm trying to do is create cognitive dissonance. That is a prerequisite for anybody having a transformational experience. They need to change, that's the thing here, folks. We need to change what we believe about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about challenging doctrines, right? I'm talking about challenging the way we apply and think and live and interpret 
those doctrines. Because when you start to change that, behavior change becomes very natural. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I need to plant questions, not about the doctrines. Chill out, everybody. I need to plant <laughs> questions in their hearts and minds about, wait a minute, what do I really believe? Wait a minute. What did I really experience last week? Wait, 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 wait. What if that doesn't mean what I thought it meant? What if my experience means this instead about Jesus, about the Holy Ghost, about me, about my parents, about eternity, right? So we want them. Sherry Dew says, will you engage in the wrestle? Well, guess what our job is as teachers in the gospel, as parents even, right? Our job is to inspire them to engage in the wrestle. Now, I once heard somebody say, it's never appropriate to be a devil's advocate when you're teaching in the church setting. And I don't know, I, it would take me forever to try to look that up, and I just don't really care to. But it's probably just wise, right? I don't know if it's because the word devil's in it, right? You should never yeah. title 666 or anything in the church. Right? I don't know. <laughs> but regardless of whether it's doctrinal, it just makes sense from a psychological perspective. I'm not a psychologist, mm-hmm. but everything we do deals with deep psychology. Right. Okay? Right. So take that for what it's worth. So here's why it's not good to be a devil's advocate. Because when you argue just for the sake of getting a reaction from people, which is what devil's advocacy is, you actually reinforce their current beliefs. Now Mm. they're arguing to prove you wrong. Like, oh, you said like, oh, well, what about this? Well, let me prove to you why you're wrong. Okay. And now all you're doing is you're entrenching beliefs. Like what a terrible, terrible class to be in where a bunch of people just raise their hands and say, here's what I already believe. And they go home. And they say, well, I got to tell everybody what I already believe. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's the typical Sunday school class, right? Mm-hmm. But what a mm-hmm. terrible experience, because if your goal is transformational growth, you need people to walk away and say, well, I put my truth into the pot and I heard nine other people's truths. Yeah. And now my heart is churning and I need to go to the scriptures and I need to go to prayer. I need to go to my parents. I need to go to my brother and I need to have a conversation because I'm starting to see the gospel a little bit differently. And it might mean that I need to make some changes. That's a beautiful Sunday school class. Or if you're a leadership development instructor, facilitator, that's a beautiful leadership class or leadership workshop. You get people walking away saying, I shared my truth. I heard a lot of other truth. And I'm now open to exploring. Yeah. And another uh, caveat here, you know, talk about the devil's advocate and why that's definitely not the most effective approach. Another approach I see is, you know, especially in this world where we've all seen so many loved ones, friends who have removed themselves from our faith community. And so naturally, maybe you're a youth leader, you think, okay, you know, that person complained that they never heard about these things in a youth. So I'm going to walk in there. I'm going to inoculate all our youth to every principle and point and concern they could probably have. And so we we sort of, you know, lay out the truth and give them fire hose them with all this information, which maybe it does inoculate them or they, yeah, sure. They can never get to a point where they say, they can say, nobody told me this, but if you don't invite them to, to take steps into the wrestle rather than just, well, let me just fire hose you with, now, you know, it, you know, carry on. And now we can get back to just having a, a good Sunday school class. But instead of saying like, okay, we know there's these nuances, there's this ambiguity in the gospel, in our history. What's the next step? How can I invite them in to begin to wrestle with one principle, right? So they can be reflective. And then as they begin to inoculate themselves to these truth claims or this this messiness of, of the gospel, 
they're better prepared and they're, they, they've become more sanctified in their heart so that they can then absorb some of these facts or truths. So yeah. What are your thoughts? Yeah. And I, I think a key thing to, to keep in mind, this is going to be principle four that I kind of teased out as I was reflecting on this is you got to ground it in real life, in real experience. Mm -hmm. This is not. Right. So listen, Kurt, why do people say, I just heard this last week. Everybody says this. I used to say this all the time. Why do people say, I'm sorry, but I like gospel principles better than I like gospel doctrines class. Uh -huh. Like, why do they say that? Is it because the doctrines are just so much simpler? Yeah, they're the same doctrines, right. right? The difference is in gospel principles, you've got generally a group of people who are going through something life-changing. Mm -hmm. They're joining a church, it's throwing their world upside down, and they're just like hyper-authentic. And so even the members who have 20 or 30, 40 years experience in the church, they love to be in that class because they're getting exposed to people who are living the gospel and experimenting with it in real time, in real life. Okay. That's why, right? And so for me, I think that's one of the key things that we do in our leadership workshops too, is we ground everything in how are you living this? Like, what is your experience? It's not, what do you know? So even if you come back to the third principle about creating argument, it's not like, oh, well, Professor X said this and Professor Y said this, or Apostle X said this and Apostle Y said that. Like, what is it really? Like, that's gospel doctrine class, right? Yeah. Right? Right. Or that's the typical you know, myth of gospel doctrine. What it is, is it's saying, here's a principle. Here's a story from my life where this principle helped me or where it changed me. Or here's how I'm struggling with this principle because of my own experiences. Okay, that's me as a teacher showing up. And I'm saying, I'm going to make this claim. It doesn't matter if I'm the expert leadership teacher or if I'm the expert adult Sunday school teacher, right? I'm going to mm -hmm. show up. I'm going to make a claim that's grounded in real life. I'm going to say, hey, let me tell you about this certain principle that I read about in Ether or that I'm teaching you because it's in my leadership class. And here's what it means to me. And here's a story about what it means. And what does it mean in your life? Okay. And then come to the class. And guess what? When I start that class, Kurt, I might spend a few minutes refreshing the theme. I might tell, maybe I might, might tell another story to just kind of like highlight some things, but I'm done. No lesson, no outline, mm -hmm. no content, right? I've studied the scriptures all week. I've got the Come Follow Me manual. I know the frames of reference and things like that, right? But my entire focus for the rest of the call is on listening. Who's going to say what? And what are the nuggets that we're going to pull out and focus on? And we're always going to be about driving the conversation deeper into real life. Okay. Yeah. So if someone says like, oh, something about college applications, let's drive deeper. If someone says something about like, oh, my dad is never around because he's got this new job. We're going to drive that conversation deeper and we'll let the spirit help us. Okay. Now here's the thing. You're not going to abdicate your role as a teacher. I don't abdicate my mm -hmm. role as a teacher. There are times where somebody says something and I'm like, freeze. I even use those words, freeze. You just said something that totally reminds me of John 316 or whatever it is. We just need to take a minute and reflect on this. I think this is what Jesus means when he says that. And you yeah. just showed it in real life, right? And then I turn to the class and I say, who else is having thoughts or questions? Yeah. And, and it really, you know, in that mindset, it really requires you as the teacher or instructor or facilitator to really listen to what they're saying rather than, okay, they're talking. This gives me a few seconds to go to my outline and let's see, what am I going to talk about next? Oh yeah, I got this scripture and that scripture and this quote. I'm going to go there next. But to really sit, and even if there's there's some silence there as you like contemplate what they just said and said, okay, freeze. You know, Brother Jones, like what was that you just said? Let's explore that for a minute, you know? So what else do we talk about, Kurt? I mean, this to me- <laughs> So 
Go for it. So, and I, I sort of push you past the the argument, the principle three, as far as like stimulating argument. Anything else we we missed on that? And then I want to make sure we really hit the the grounding. Well, uh, so back to the argument thing. So this is where I'm, I'm teaching. I get asked, invited to to teach in elders quorum, right? So on my mm-hmm. off week when I'm not teaching Sunday school, and so here I am on Zoom, and it's a different setting, right? Now I've got 35 people who are logged in. They're adults. They're men. They're 95% above the age of 50, I'd say, or at least those who are on camera are 95% above the age of 50, and probably only a 10th of them have their cameras turned on, okay? So uh-huh. I'm in this class, and I, the Elder Scorn president says, you can choose your own topic. And so it's from General Conference, and there's really only one topic that stuck out to me because it was so loud in my ears. And darn it, I'm going to forget who gave, is it, I think it was Sister <laughs> Eubank maybe, gave the talk oh, yeah. about unity. Yeah. Yep. And so I'm like, well, dang, that's, I mean, if you want me to choose my own topic and he specifically said, choose a talk that really resonated with you. I'm like, well, I'd be hypocritical if I chose anything else, because that's the one that was ringing in my ears was unity. And so I try to, you know, whether I did all this stuff, good or bad or whatever on that call, one thing I wanted to do was create a falsifiable claim and I wanted to ground it in reality. Okay. So here's the danger, Kurt. This is the danger. Whenever you do anything positively deviant, you're stepping into the fire and you might get burned, right? And that's the risk. And so that's why we generally don't do it. So like, I have zero interest in upsetting the apple cart in my elders quorum. Like, I can't even tell you, I have beyond zero interest. <laughs> I don't uh-huh. need a backlash. I don't need people to hate me. I don't need anything like that, right? But I've been asked to teach. And I've been asked to teach on something that really resonated with me, which is this talk on unity. So I bring this up and I, I, I try to make falsifiable claims as we're going. And the, the gist of what I'm claiming a hard thing to say in an Elder Scrum class, especially when you're not the president. The gist of what I'm saying is, is we should be more unified than we are. Okay. That's, that's a hard, that's a hard thing to say. Okay. Now I didn't really ever come out and say that. So maybe I was chicken, but I'm, I'm pretty sure people got it because here's the deal. By the end of that class, we had a raging, raging discussion. It was all gospel principle centered. It was all optimistic. It was all forward looking. Right. But I got on there and I said, I had this experience once where I walked into a ward and it was so unbelievably transformational. And like, I just, it was so unified. I wanted to move my family there. And I said, when have you had experiences in the church where you've experienced something like that? And we had like five or six guys get on there and tell about these amazing experiences they had had in the church. And then I just asked the question, I said, what do we need to do to make our quorum feel like that? Now, subtly, I'm making a falsifiable claim. Somebody could say, well, our quorum already is like that. And for them, it might be, right? And I, I have no complaints about our quorum, okay? Yeah. It's just, we're just, we're just an elder's <laughs> right. quorum, okay? Right. And it's so hard. I mean, come on, we got guys who are age 95 all the way down to age 35 or in our maybe 25 even. Like, that's really hard to unify that group, right? And so here's how I know that we had a transformational experience. Two hours later, I have a guy knocking on my door saying, I want to talk about what you were talking about, what we were talking about. I want to talk about that. Wow, And I get an email from another guy that night and he says, Hey, let's talk about this. And so we end up going to lunch so we can talk about it. And then I've got the elders quorum president who says, you know, I feel like it must've been inspired to have you teach that because unity is the number one thing on my mind. And that was exactly what I wanted us to talk about. Okay. So what that shows to me, I didn't do anything special, Kurt. Like this isn't about me. This is about a process. This is about principles. This is about tools. And when you're real, 
right? So there's in that situation, we got all those criteria met, right? I couldn't really do much about who showed up. I tried to get them to turn their cameras on, but it's not my class. It's not my culture. So like yeah. two people, I think, turn their cameras on and that's fine. <laughs> like I wasn't going to like beat them up over it or anything, but like I'm trying yeah. to create community, right? So these are the guys I got and I'm going to try to create community. I'm going to try to put them in the right mindset. So get, I shared authentically. I want to get them to share authentically. And then it was grounded in real life. Like it's not like the higher principles of community. It's not like, you know, let's think about what it was like in, you know, fourth Nephi when they were super unified or, you know, the, the, after the Pentecost, when they were super unified, like those are all relevant and important. We can learn from those things, but it's grounding it in us today. What's our experience with these principles, right? We are a quorum. We should be unified. Are we like, I want everybody on that call to be asking themselves, are we as unified as we can be? And what could I do differently to help with unity? That's why you have to ground yeah. it in what's really real. Yeah. And it's, uh, as far as what I'm hearing, you know, it's just, it's this application process of the gospel. And a lot of the time I call it the, the algebra of the gospel. Like we get really good at, if you put a chalkboard in front of us, we can write out the algebra of the gospel. I can show you why why grace is important and the Savior came and then he established the priesthood. And I can I can write all that out for you. But so many times as a bishop, I, I can't count the, the how many times an individual came into me and said, Bishop, I preached the atonement for two years on my mission. I'm not quite sure it works for me, right? Like th they could explain the algebra of the atonement. But in that instance where they had done something so regrettable, no, not for me. I knew better. And that, that wasn't in my, that wasn't in my, uh, in my explanation. Right. I knew better. And I still did this Bishop. This isn't, this isn't applied to me. Right. And so, and this is why it's so crucial. I think with this step of grounding, like taking people, not just into that class, not just talking about principles and sharing stories, but then having them walk out feeling like I now know where this meets the ground in my life. I now know when, when I recognize that I can now articulate it or this week when it does happen, I can now see that, right? And that's the key, right? So when I say to those kids in the in the pre-content video, I say, this is what we're going to talk about. And I want you to talk about how it matters in your life. Like what you did, if I, in my workshop, I gave them a week, right? I want you to actually try to go do something. And I knew that people weren't going to show up to that call. Not all of them were going to actually have done something differently. But by asking them to do something differently, I knew they were going to have to grapple with it in terms of their real world. And so that cognitive dis dissonance would start to be created. So when they came to the call, which for me was on Thursday, which for Sunday school is on Sunday, when they come to that call, they've already got this churning of like, ooh, something about my life and this principle, right? This, it's mm. already happening inside of them. And then it's like, okay, how do we pick up on that? How do we keep that going? Now, I gotta tell you, Kurt, like right now on this call with you, everything inside of me is saying, tell Kurt to delete this podcast. <laughs> that's the honest truth Okay, because I'm there. all of a sudden I'm thinking, oh my gosh, so many people are going to listen to this and they're going to think that guy is so full of himself. He doesn't know anything and he's wrong. Right. And I need to go, uh -huh. I need to go call president Nelson. And I need to tell him this Duckworth guy is wrong and he's, he's causing a problem. Right. That's, that's a real tension. That's a real feeling inside of me. Like I remember the first time I was on your podcast, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get so many phone calls from people telling me that like, I'm this apostate and then I'm, I'm, I'm off the reservation and stuff. Right. Because here's why, because I'm making falsifiable claims. Right. Mm. I'm, yep. And here's the deal. I may not be right, folks. 
But if I'm wrong, you need to go grapple with it and figure out why I'm wrong. Not just to defend your current beliefs. This is my truth, man. This is my experience that I just went through and that I'm going through right now. What's your experience? You should be putting that into the mix right now in whatever conversations you have with people. And if this is real for you, if something about this, this is resonating, it's like deep and you, you, you figure like, I got to figure this out, then you need to go find three or four people in your life, right? I'm sure they'll email you too, Kurt, but it's not the same. <laughs> you need to go find right. three or four people and you need to say, hey, listen to this interview, not because I think he's right, but because it's making me have to think about what I believe about how you teach and what the goals of teaching are and whether you push people out or let people in. What, what does it mean to be inclusive or exclusive? Like it's making me think about these things in a different way. And I need other people's opinions. I need other people's truths. So go listen to this and then let's have an hour long Zoom call or whatever it is, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's the, because it feels like at times, like you said, where, where we want to just delete the episode and, and try again, it feels like, that you're challenging something, you're, you know, you're sort of kicking a sacred cow, which you are, but we sometimes mix that up. You haven't come on here and saying like, well, maybe Sunday school isn't inspired. Maybe that, that whole auxiliary should be dismissed, dismissed. And maybe, you know, like those aren't the claims you're making though. They're, they're bold claims and they really cause a stir in somebody's soul to engage with these questions. And I've no doubt I, as I always do, uh, when, when Dan's on the podcast, I'll get emails from people saying, I've listened to that episode three times. I just, and I still don't know can't. what that guy's talking about. <laughs> no, 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 no. Just the opposite. They're just <laughs> like, it is so refreshing. And now I, I feel inspired to go a different, a certain direction. Right. So I think it's great. So I think it's great. I'm back in Ann Arbor. I live in Utah now, but I'm back in Ann Arbor. Like when I was back in Ann Arbor, I, I had, what was I? I think it was on the high council. And there's this leadership guru who I'm, I'm kind of his understudy at this point. His name is Bob Quinn. And some people probably have heard me talk about him before, but he's mm -hmm. in our stake and he's a Sunday school teacher to a group of 16 and 17 year olds. Why do I covet this calling? Because I started hearing these crazy stories about this authentic teenage learning community that Bob Quinn was creating. And so I abused my position as a high counselor and I said, hey, Bob, as a high counselor, I want to come in and sit in on your Sunday school class and I want to observe. And he's like, okay, sure, no problem, right? Had nothing to, I was over missionary work. It had nothing to do with my calling. <laughs> but I had to see this, right? And guess what his philosophy is? He says, hmm. I am here to create a school of the prophets. Now, I, wow. I, he didn't really say much to me about that, but like, I've thought about that so much since then. What is a school of the prophets? Well, fundamentally, it's a masterclass. Okay. We abuse yeah. that term in today's world. It's just like, you know, if you want to know how to brush your teeth, there's a masterclass for how to brush your teeth. Right. <laughs> but, but a masterclass in the true sense is there's an expert and there's a group of advanced students and the expert does very little instructing. Instead, he comes and he creates a falsifiable claim. And then the group of advanced students debate the claim and produce new learning. That's what a masterclass is all about. It's about producing new learning. It's not about transferring knowledge from the expert to the students. The, the expert seeds the discussion, right? So a school of the prophets is a masterclass. Number two, prophets aren't just experts or advanced students. Prophets are revelators. Prophets receive revelation, right? Not just like when they're on their knees later tonight, but like in the room, they're receiving revelation. So can you look at a group of, you know, 30 women in your Relief Society or bunch of 12 year olds on your Sunday school class, like that's probably the hardest one. I'm going to be honest. Can you look mm -hmm. at them and say, these are advanced students 
They actually have something to give. They are not here to soak up my expertise. My expertise is to seed the discussion and to encourage them to put their expertise into the pot. What are they experts on? What is a 12-year-old expert on that nobody else is expert on? Her life. So if you can get them to talk about their life and what the gospel is doing or not doing in their life, they're experts. Number two, they're revelators. Can you think about a group of you know, old men on a Zoom call, right? Trying to figure out how to use the mute button or not, right? Yeah. Can you imagine them as being revelators, right? Can you imagine your Zoom call is with Parley P. Pratt and Orson Hyde and Lucy Mack Smith and, you know, all these great revelators from the earth. Can you imagine a Zoom call with those people where all of a sudden they're like speaking by the spirit, right? Yeah. So it goes back to that first principle. Bob Quinn opened my eyes and he said, I'm creating a school of the prophets. Yeah. I believe these kids can do something that nobody else believes about them. You got to believe yeah. that about your class. That's the starting point. So Dan, one, one response I hear, you know, as I've gone down these similar paths with, with teaching is people get really hung up on the concern of, well, our role is to teach the doctrine because there's so much confusion in the world. If I don't clearly teach the doctrine, if I don't put together my outline of how this specific doctrinal principle is and, and the truth of it, then they'll never get it. And, and there might be confusion and then they'll be lured away by, by other things. Right. And so there's sort of this hangup of like, no, I have to like establish doctrine and teach the doctrine and stay there, stay in the manual and do these things. Like when I start to venture off in this storyland or seeding discussion, like, I don't know, I, like it feels like it's a dangerous place. Yeah. That's a great concern. So when I work on leadership, okay, there's five things that go into somebody having a successful leadership moment. Okay. Forget about being a great leader. I don't really believe that much in that whole concept, but having a successful leadership moment. Number one is that they have certain traits they were born with. Okay. Number two is skills. Three is knowledge. Four is their mental and emotional state. And number five is their character. And character is your default behaviors when you're not thinking about it. It's who you are when you're not consciously self-regulating it. Okay. So all of those things go into a successful leadership moment. But the research shows that the one that is the elephant in the room that accounts for two thirds of your leadership performance is your character how you behave when you're not consciously self-regulating it. The next one that's most impactful is your psychological and emotional state of being, okay? Of course, your traits are huge, but you can't get new traits. That's what you were born with. So you can mm -hmm. work on that until you're blue in the face, right? That leaves knowledge and skills. The vast majority, maybe 95%, maybe 99% of leadership training programs are about passing on knowledge or practicing skills, okay? Mm -hmm. Even though they have the least impact on leadership performance. Wow. Wow. Okay. So now transfer that to the gospel teaching setting. The handbook, and I, I looked it up this week because I don't want to be a foul of the handbook, right? Right. So I looked it up. Sunday school. The purpose of Sunday school is to build faith in Jesus Christ by teaching the doctrines. Okay. So there's that word teach, but there's a purpose. It's to build faith in Jesus Christ by teaching the doctrines. But I look at that and I go, what does it mean to teach? Is teaching, well, they have certain traits they're born with. They can go check their patriarchal blessing for those. I'm not going to change those. Maybe they can learn to use their strengths better, right? But that's not really my mm -hmm. focus. Number one is knowledge. That's one thing I can teach is for knowledge, right? 
And then I'm going to throw all kinds of stats and statistics and doctrines and story, you know, proof stories, quotes, and, yeah, quotes yeah. right? <laughs> That's teaching for knowledge. Second one is skills, right? So then I'm going to say like, well, are you reading your scriptures every day? Are you going to the temple? Are you praying, right? That's skills, right? Super important, but the least impactful, right? To being a, a true disciple of Jesus Christ when it counts. The third one is their psychological and emotional state. Is that the fourth one? Or, or the fourth. That's the fourth one. Thank right, you. Fourth, yeah. You have the you have the benefit of seeing my hands right now while we're talking. Your fingers, yeah. <laughs> the fourth one is the, the state of being, right? Now, when I meet with them weekly, I can play a real influence on their state of being. Like from week to week, I can help keep them in a disciple state of mind, their best self state of mind, right? That's one of the true advantages of going to church frequently, right? And even scripture study, it can be about knowledge transfer but it can also be about keeping you in the right psychological and emotional state. That's huge, right? And frankly, I'm, I'm not super an expert on that. You've had people like Jody Moore on, that's what they are experts on, right? Mm -hmm. where, where I'm an expert and where I believe, falsifiable claim, I believe the biggest benefit is on helping people change their character. And you only change character by going through the refiner's fire. Like the scriptures are replete with that, right? So now what I wanna teach you, I wanna teach you, I wanna build faith in you that you can go through the refiner's fire right? I want to teach you how to go through the refiner's fire. I want to inspire you how to go through the refiner's fire. And I want to help build a crucible, which will protect you so that you can refine yourself. You can purify yourself. You can reshape yourself and God can reshape you into something that's more useful than you are today. Right? So for yeah. me, it all comes down to teaching doesn't necessarily mean what you've been experienced to as far as teaching goes for the last 30 or 40 years. Yeah. And I love that, you know, those five steps that it, our default position is I want to teach knowledge and, you know, that'll come out. I think naturally through the discussion, knowledge will, will come out. But when you're approaching a class, an event, a quorum from the standpoint of we're going to, uh, you know, focus on developing that character, like how can we do that as a community, as a village, one to another? I think that's a, a great place to, to start from. Have we covered it all, Dan? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure there'll be future episodes uh, that will will dive into other principles and things. But uh, so uh, just to run th through these, uh, run through the four four principles: curate, connect, argue, and ground. But yep. you have them written out better. Well, actually, I don't. But I, I would just say start with where your beliefs are. Right, your students want to grow. Do you trust that they want to grow? You don't need to force them to want to grow. They want to get to the other side of the fire. Trust me. Trust them. Number two. The School of the Prophets, or what I call the idyllic community, it's possible, right? A fantastic, amazing, phenomenal, knock your socks off Sunday school experience is possible. And if you just got off your Sunday school call or your elders quorum or relief society call, and it was a drag and it was hard to get through it, and you appreciate, man, you just love that instructor. They're trying so hard, but it's all about Zoom. Man, Zoom's terrible. There's no way we can do this over Zoom. Believe that it's possible, okay? It is possible. The third mindset, the third belief is you just have to learn how to unlock that. Right? So that's my leadership principle. Leadership to me has always been, I need to get people to do things they don't want to do. That's leadership. That's the question. How do I get them to do what they don't want to do? The answer is get them to want to do it. Don't force them. Don't push them. Don't drag them. Help them want to do it. When they want to do it, they will do it. Or at least when they want it more than they want the alternative. Right. So with your class, if you're trying to get higher engagement, higher participation, higher attendance, higher authenticity, right? You have to learn how to get them to want to do it. 
When they want to turn the cameras on, they will. When they want to share their authentic self, they will. When they want to ask a question that's burning on their mind, they will. So how do you create the conditions that invite them, that get them to want to? Okay, so those are the, those are the core beliefs, right? And those apply in any leadership setting. Then some more practical principles are you got to curate the community, right people with the right mindset. Number two, you have to connect and actually create the community. A group of people does not a community make. Right, so you have to create shared identity, shared purpose, and authentic authenticity is the is the way you do that. Buzzword, right? Number three, you need to create cognitive dissonance, right? And you do that through argument and through the conversation. Lots of conversation, lots of debate, even, but it isn't conflict, it isn't contention, it's cognitive dissonance, and the conversation becomes proxy for the inner conversation that they're going to carry with them throughout the next week or two or three. Right? And hopefully you're connecting these from week to week, from experience to experience. And then number four, you always got to ground it in the real world. Make this real. It's about real life, real time, real world. None of this is about just being intellectual about the gospel. Like there's, there's like, unless you're going to be a professor at BYU and you're going to go work for the farms program or whatever it is, there's no value in being hyper intellectual. You need to know things. You need to know principles, right? There's another falsifiable claim. I can already hear people getting ready to write you an email, right? (laughs) So there is value, right? I shouldn't say there's no value, but the value of knowledge is really about, we often say it's about how you apply it. Well, that's because we're grounding it, right? So if you want anything, go for wisdom of how how does this, what does this actually mean in your real world? That's what we want to talk about. Awesome, awesome. Dan, uh, if people want to get, learn more about your, uh, workshops and things. Uh, they want to jump into that maybe in their secular life, but obviously there's a spiritual component in all these things. Where would you send them to learn more about that? It's actually, it's interesting, Kurt. I know we're like way over time, but I was on a call no, yes- yesterday explaining some of this to some very interested people. They live in New York City. And at the end, one of them just says, wow, like, have you ever heard of, and she named this like spiritual practice or, or philosophy that I'd never <laughs> heard of. And she said, have you ever heard of this? And I said, no, I haven't. She goes, it sounds like you're just, you're saying exactly everything that they talk about, right? So yes, <laughs> this this can feel very spiritual. And by the way, this is the most energizing, most enlivening way to talk about the gospel, to talk about leadership, to talk about parenting, anything that, ha- by the way, character change affects all aspects of your life, right? Yeah. And that's why yeah. I do what I do, because I actually don't care how much money you make. I actually don't care if your product you know, gets into the, on the shelves, or if you can get it from here to to India, like, I don't care about that. But what I care about is using that as a proxy for changing your life, right? So that we can get moms and dads and bishops and Relief Society presidents and, you know, citizens and PTSA presidents and all these people who have more energy, more creativity, more passion, more everything that's good to give to the world. To me, that's building the kingdom of God. Right. So that's what we're doing. So we we're about ready to launch. So if anybody's interested, right, I'm curating. I'm looking for change makers. I'm looking for people who want to change their world. Right. Whether you feel like you're a polished change maker or you're a, an aspiring change maker, like join us. Okay. We're we're starting a, a, an online masterclass. It's a year-long masterclass. You can join us. We're gonna be doing a bunch of webinars in December. I've never done a webinar, Kurt, ever. And and your background is in marketing. And you've been coaching me for two years now, and I've just been dragging my feet until all of these things came into place recently. And I was like, oh my goodness, it works. It works online. We're going to do it. And I'm just, I can't even tell you, I was making this slide deck this week. And I had this thought. I said, this is the most important slide deck of my life. 
I had made so many slide decks to teach with. When I was a change maker, I was making presentations to the Department of Defense or to, to XYZ big company. Um, this is the most important slide deck, not because it has anything to do with revenue, but because I finally have got my words and my voice and my belief in this message and we're taking it to the world, right? My personal mission is world-class leadership development for the masses, deep change for all. And I feel like we're finally at the point where all the dominoes have fallen, all the pieces are in place. So if they, if they wanna come listen to one of those webinars, they wanna learn more, they can go to my website, danduckworth.net, or they can go to the company website, cruxcentral.com, C-R-U-X central.com. They'll find a link to the webinar. Uh, I don't know if we're gonna let people sign up yet without watching the webinar, because frankly, we don't want the wrong people in. So we're looking for the right people. And so we need you to have a little bit of an experience first to know if you're the right people. So nice. that's what and we got going on. So when's, on. The, when's the first webinar? Uh, it's gonna be December 9th, I think is, is when it is. We're gonna do one right. every week through December to get the okay. word out. And if they're listening to this later, they just need to go to the website to see when yeah, we'll have the next, the next one is, links right? on there. Yep. Yep. Awesome. Well, Dan, uh, man, I, I usually want you to just give us some final encouragement to send us off and uh, we'll call it an episode. Man, I just used to think it was so funny when my son would say, let's go. Like this is the thing that these kids say these days, like, let's go. Like that's how they cheer each other on. But in, I served my mission in Taiwan and in Chinese, they have the saying that's add oil is what they say. When they're cheering, people say, add oil, like that will help you go faster. Like add gas is basically what they're saying. Like add more fuel, like keep going, keep going. Like you can do this. Jayo, Jayo, Jayo. And that's all I want to say right now is I'm so excited about this. The possibilities for us with Zoom, like I couldn't wait until Zoom was over. And now I'm like, please don't go back to regular church. I really want to spend at least six months experimenting with Zoom with my Sunday school class. So let's go, let's do it. That concludes my interview with Dan Duckworth. I mean, I love this guy. He's so good and he inspires me every time. I'm excited to be part of uh, his upcoming workshops and being part of that community and uh, seeing how I can transform and develop as, as an individual myself. I hope to see many of you there. Um, again, we'll put those links in the show notes if you wanna jump on over there and, and uh, register for some of those uh, webinars that he's putting on and you'll get more of Dan and uh, his inspiring perspective and, and uh, it's awesome. It's awesome. I hope you do. Uh, you know, there's no rule that says you can only listen to a podcast episode once. You can go back. You can restart. I hope maybe names have come to you of individuals you could share this with. Maybe there's a there's a ward council out there that you're a part of that just is like they're spinning their wheels, like they're trying. They want to create community. They want to create connection. They don't know what to do. And so maybe this will give you some thought-provoking perspectives and ideas to discuss and debate, right, and argue about in your next uh, council meeting. And that's uh, where Great Revelation comes from. So thank you, Dan, for, for participating. We look forward to the next interview and uh, conversation with Dan. And I remind you once again to text the word LEAD to 474747 in order to subscribe to the Leading Saints weekly newsletter. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.